I'm going to double check. Test, test, one, two. Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the foundation, the earth on its foundations, so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they may not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth 
and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night. When all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the, mo- the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Levithian, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are are amazed by your greatness and your majesty, Lord. Father, we pray that you continue to help us be in awe of you as we consider the things that you've made and how you can love us. Father, we thank you because in the presence of your greatness and your majesty, all of the earth has no other recourse but to bow in worship. Father, we thank you because you are great and that you're worthy to be praised. Father, when we, um, when we consider your greatness and, and your wisdom, Father, we, we are astounded, rightfully so. Father, we pray that it always leads us to that place of worship. Father, we also thank you for your great love and your justice. We thank you for how you reconcile both in the gospel and in the person of Jesus. Father, we thank you that you love us and that you sent your son to die for us. But on the other hand, it also met that requirement that we could never meet. Father, we're grateful for it. Father, we're grateful for that great love, the depths of which we can never plumb. 
Father, we pray that you continue to help us meditate on it and let it always lead us to worship. Father, we have we've sang of your greatness this morning. We pray that those, word, those, those lyrics don't stay with us as words, but we pray that we continue to meditate on it and, and, and that we, we continue to worship you. Father, as we open your word to expound on it this morning, Lord, Father, we pray for your spirit, and we pray that your spirit does the work only you can in our hearts and minds, Father. Father, we thank you for David, and as he brings us the word this morning, Lord, Father, I pray that you give him a special anointing and a boldness, and that your words come out of his lips, Father. Father, during our time of, of hearing and listening to you, we pray that um, you, you bring conviction where conviction needs to happen and that your word comes forth with clarity this morning. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful that you, 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 you condescended us, Father. In spite of us being enemies of yours and opposed to you, that great love that you have for us, you, you, you showed it to us uh, by sending your son to die for us. Let that transform everything about us, Father. Let it transform our relationships. Let it transform our, the way we, 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 um, we do our jobs, the way we, um, we interact with the world as a whole, Father. Father, we're grateful for that great provision. Because as we look at this world and, and, and we're faced with a lot of calamities and a lot of hopelessness, but we rejoice because of that great hope that you afford us. Father, we pray that um, you do a mighty thing this morning as your word is opened and that you leave us even in, in more awe than we came in this morning. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. I forgot this thing's like a beast. I've been here. Maybe you weren't expecting this, David, but I'm here, and uh, I'm going to drop that there. Um, so my name's David Delmont, and David Price, your pastor, and I have been friends for some 15 years. I've been with you before, if you're new. Um, hello, and I think the kids may have stepped out, but I met some great kids. I met uh, Owen somewhere around here. He's down there. And I met uh, Felix and Lincoln and Ezra. So I'm so glad um, because I, my life is spent with kids. Um, I uh, currently serve at Candy's Creek Baptist Church, and we have a classical Christian school there. And I'm the headmaster at the school, and so I deal with all kinds of children and students, and it is a joy every day to be able to work uh, with these students. Uh, invite you to turn to Psalm 104 in your copy of your scriptures, and we're going to dive into Psalm 104. I love uh, Pastor David over the last several summers has done uh, Summer Under the Psalms, I think is what his title is. Summer under the Psalms, and uh, he he'd asked me a couple a while back. You know, would you be able to preach for me a couple times? And I, I got a busy busy life and busy things, and I said, well, maybe sure. And then I said, uh, um, 
Yeah, I, I love the Psalms, and I'd love to come preach the Psalm. Um, and he asked me a couple weeks ago if I could come, and I'm like, I can't make that. But I could make, like last week, because that was Psalm 103, and I had a total message for that. Like, I've preached that before. No, he said, no, I need you the next week. And I'm like, okay. So I had an incredibly busy week, because we start school at the a week from tomorrow, and uh, it's just a busy time for me. But... I hope that today after you leave, you get a glimpse of what God had prepared in my own heart as I meditated and worked through this psalm, prepared it uh, for us to receive today. And um, it's just a joy to be able to take God's word, to study it for ourselves, to look at his creation. And that is uh, largely the theme uh, this morning. I I would say... Um, I want to give you a few introductory remarks about Psalm 104, and I'm going to turn on my phone. So I, I actually, we use Proclaim, which the, your church here uses, and so um, when it comes up, I'll be able to control that. But Psalm 104 um, is found in the fourth book of, of the Psalms. There's five books, and from Psalm 90 to Psalm 106, Uh, You find this, and again, Psalm 103 that you heard last week praises the Redeemer and King, but here we move into Psalm 104, and it praises the Creator. It magnifies the Creator King. And so just a few introductory remarks about Psalm 104, and as it relates to Psalm 103, Psalm 103 praised the Lord's compassion with His people in history. And then Psalm 104 here praises God's marvelous work in creation, and not only his marvelous work in creation, but his sustaining of that creation. Psalm 103 praises God for his work uh, in the kingdom of grace, and here we're going to see that God is working in the kingdom of nature. Psalm 103 uh, is titled as of David, but Psalm 104, we don't know. It doesn't have a title, and so no author is listed. But Psalm 104, whomever wrote it, we know obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit, but Psalm 104 takes on creation, and really it's an echo of Genesis 1. Some messages or preachers that you would hear would kind of make some hard uh, points all the way through Psalm 104, linking them to Genesis chapter 1. But I would just say it's an echo. We, we hear in Psalm 104, we hear Genesis 1. And so an interesting feature, maybe, when you, maybe as we work through that and as it was read before us, you would have noticed that there's this change between you and he, you and he. And so The point is that the creator is both you and he. God is observed in his works, but that he's also he personal in his work and and can be known. So um, the title this morning is the creation psalm. If anything... I want, someone says, what did you hear Sunday uh, at, in worship and what was preached? Psalm 104, the creation song. You can take that with you wherever. Now, if you're more of the, you know, the Puritan bent, this is the Puritan title. A song of praise to the greatness of God and glory of the Lord as evidenced in creation. Psalm 104. We're going to look at this morning basically some comparisons, and I wanted to kind of set you up and and share with you this. Um, Psalm 104, we're going to talk about greatness 
We're going to talk about goodness. But you can see on a, on a scale, we often think of those words on a scale. We have very poor, poor, fair, good, excellent, or bad, good, better, best, or what? Worse, bad, good, greatest. And so a lot of times when we think of greatest and good, and when we think about God, we're putting it on a scale. Like, isn't he gr- greater than good? And he's not less than greatest. So, But we got to think of them differently. And so this morning, I want you to think of them entirely differently, as in two different categories, not on a scale, not on a spectrum, but on two different categories. So the greatness of God, I want you to think, is the category of his divine attributes that are physical impossibilities for man, such as eternal, eternality, God is eternal, unchangeable, God is unchangeable, or omniscient, he's all-knowing, he's omnipresent. He's present everywhere. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. So that, like the, the greatness and that overflow. So when we think of greatness, we're thinking about these impossible divine attributes that we, can, we cannot participate in in any way. But then, as we look at the goodness of God, I want you to think about his moral attributes that he shares with man or expects of man, such as love, Kindness, mercy, faithfulness, grace, holiness, patience. And we could go on and on and on. And so we're going to look at these two primarily. So the outline this morning, if you are taking notes and you want to remember the creation song, uh, the creation Psalm 104, the greatness of the Creator, we sang about that. The goodness of the Creator, we sang about that. And the glory of the Creator. And we're going to look at these three things, and we're going to start with the greatness of the Creator this morning. <clears throat> so, the greatness of the Creator. Let's take a look. Verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Begins the same way as Psalm 103. O Lord, my God, you are very great. Let's just stop right there. Um, you are very great. Consider the adverb very. I mean, he is very great. Like he is the epitome of greatness. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He's covered in splendor and clothed in splendor and majesty, covered as a garment of light. Do you know the first recorded words of God are, let there be light in Genesis 1-3. God is light in 1 John um, one five. Now let's look at verses five through nine. His creative power. I will say one thing. I, I was asking my community group to pray with me and ask questions. They said, "Stretch out the heavens like a tent." And I thought, uh, one of our, one of our guys is a big camper, and he's like, "Look at that. He's a you know camping god." And I'm like, "Yeah, look at that. God stretches out the heavens easier." And quicker than I can even look at the assembly instructions for a man-made tent. I just, I mean, he's great. He is awesome in power and very great. His creative power in verses 5 through 9. He set the earth on its foundation so that it would never be moved. Foundations aren't supposed to be moved. But the earth's foundation is fixed and no one can move it. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. 
He set the earth on its foundations. He forms the earth's geography. Look at verses 7 and 8. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took flight. The mountains arose. The valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. At his command, mountains here, valleys here, seas over there. That is all what God had did in his creative work. He exists and he does this independent of everything. So I want to introduce you to a theological term that many of you probably have never heard of, but it's a short word and it's a word of great importance. It comes from the Latin, and in our classical school we teach Latin, but aseity. It is this idea of a, from, in Latin, C, self, so from oneself. So God, many say that this is like a divine attribute that refers to his self-existence. Like, he is the first cause. In other words, he's not dependent on anything prior or after. He exists eternally, without external need for anything. And I would say it's almost beyond an attribute or a quality, it is his very being. It is his essence. Aseity is the theological term. And he needs nothing. And we, we think of that, but it's an amazing, it's all, like God's name, right? We know the capital, as we see in this text, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. What it, God introduces him to Mo, himself to Moses. I am. I'm like my being. I am. I'm aseity. I'm derived from oneself. Like nobody needs to help me with anything. And so it's really important because here we're looking at this creation account as this psalmist wrote reflecting in a poetic way in a way to sing this to God and praise to God of the Genesis 1 account. And we see that God needs nothing. He is the first cause. But there are philosophers and scientists that we all know. There, There are people that teach things day in and day out. And they would say, no, uh, we don't want God part of the equation. We like all that we see in the world. We're like, but we don't want God to be part of the equation. So, um, but we have a problem just because of basic mathematical laws refute that idea. Think about it. If someone says that there is no God, and we all came from whatever concept that they want, so you're going to say that no one... Nobody plus nothing equals everything. That, that, that doesn't even, that's a mathematical impossibility. Nobody plus nothing equals everything. No, God plus nothing equals everything. He gets to choose and he is that first cause. So there is a first cause, and it is God. And so those that want to acknowledge God as that first cause, um, supply, they, they, they acknowledge him and they praise him. Most will suggest that if they don't want to acknowledge him, that they, they, they got to say, make up things. And so, like the, the laws of evolutionary theory, there's three basic premises in evolutionary theory. I give them to you. That, that, that kind of all of it hangs on. 
Number one is matter is eternal because you just keep asking him, where did that come from and where did that come from? Matter, something existed eternally, so it becomes eternal and divine. That's, That's not true. God is eternal. Second is that the universe has this inherent power to continue. Now, God is the one that gives power to the universe. And then thirdly, the universe has this inherent power to improve itself. But when we look at stuff, it's not hard to see that decay, decay continues to happen. So we say no to all those three propositions from evolutionary theory. Um, And we would say that God is He's the originator, he's the creator, he's the originator, he's the sustainer, and he's the governor of the universe, and he's going to bring it to its expected end, whatever his desire is there. So, we continue on. He is very great. His creative power is very great. Then, his construction of seasons and days is great. Verses 19, so we're not going to move through specifically every verse, but go jump to 19 and 20. And in verse 19, he made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. Verse 20, you make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. He established the what? The seasons. He made the moon and he marked it off for seasons. Psalm 74, 17 says you have made summer and winter. It's all of God's plan. It's all of his original idea. Friday night as we lay in bed, my daughter, um, the four-year-old daughter, my oldest son is here and his wife, and we're, I'm glad that they joined me today. The rest of them are scattered about. I have six children, and uh, my four-year-old was in bed on Friday night, and our window was open, and she looked up and said, Daddy, look at the moon. I'm like, yeah, because I saw it the night before and we're in that season. And I saw it and she said, that's God shining the moon. And I was so thankful for just that. She didn't say, let's go out and worship the moon. Let's go out and bow down to the moon. She said, God is shining the moon. And she's got that little theology right in her head that God is shining the moon. He set the definition for a day and sun to be its, the sun to be its governor. Look at in verse 19. It, he, it knows its setting. Do you ever just look at the sun setting and rising? It's an awesome, awesome thing. But what do you give thanks to when you see that beauty and that glory? If you don't know Christ, you just, well, I guess that's how things are. It's God's greatness. His works are great in verses 24 through 26. His works or his creatures. See, in the context here, it actually refers to his creatures before and after. Some translations say possessions or riches, but it's his creation. I mean, his creatures, all of which we are, they are, what does it say? They are manifold. What is manifold? Manifold means that they are various, um, becoming many. We could say tens of thousands. So, question would be like how many species of creatures are on the earth and you look up and and maybe do a little research and you'll find that scientists can't even agree like some people say well there's three million and some people say there's a hundred million and like they can't even kind of figure but maybe the best estimates that I kind of saw was anywhere from two million to eight million different species and guess what the greatest thing about it all is they're still finding more Because we haven't exhausted God's creation. Like, I just read that this week, 
Um, well, I'll skip on that. There is just no scientific agreement, but God continues to reveal himself in creation. It's a magnificent thought. And then in ver- continuing in verse 24, what? In wisdom he creates these. He made creatures, all of them, verse 24 says. The earth is full of your creatures. Cre- creatures. <clears throat> all of them. Consider the flying birds or the flying creatures, as we say, as of the fifth day. Do you ever consider and pause and watch something fly through the air? Two creatures that I saw this week, flying creatures. One, early on, was a hummingbird. See a hummingbird, and they're amazing in how they take flight. And it, it graced me on Tuesday morning. But then, on Friday, uh, Tuesday evening, Friday morning, and then Saturday, yesterday about noon... Probably the same hummingbird zooming around our, neck, our deck. And then I also saw this other creature that flew. It was a bat. And if you know anything about flying creatures, the bat flies nothing like the hummingbird, right? But God created them out of his wisdom, and they're marvelous to watch and to behold. Consider the land animals of the sixth day. The king of the jungle, right? What is that? The lion. Right? It's kind of interesting. I'm like, why do we call it the king of the jungle? We think of jungle as a rainforest with vegetation wrapped around. And what? Lions don't reside there. Well, interestingly enough, jungle comes from the Hindi word. The Hindi word means arid or rugged or where no one inhabits. And where do you find lions? And so what about this king of the jungle? Why, why is he king? And God made him in his massive power. Think about this. I mean, there's some people that you get in their presence and they're like, that is a big dude, man. And I don't want to get in his way. But think about this. This raw power of this animal. 330 pounds. We have some NFL linemen probably that size. But I, can't, I can tell you, they don't run 50 miles an hour to catch their prey. He's fearless. He's an apex predator. This king of the jungle. He gives leadership to the pride of his, the group. He has a mighty roar. Check out the, the roar of the lion. The roar of the lion can reach 114 decibels. And God created it. I mean, I don't think all of us in this room couldn't shout loud enough to be 114 decibels. In fact, um, Last year, actually, up in Neyland Stadium, if you're a UT fan, when UT beat Alabama, they broke the record. It was 118 decibels. Now it's like 125 decibels. But it took over 100,000 people to get there. And this one lion can roar that same amount, and it can be heard up to five miles away. Isn't God awesome in his creative power from making the bat to the hummingbird to this king of the jungle? Consider the land animals. Yet, even still, the king of the jungle, as powerful and fearless as he is, he still, look at verse 21. Look at this. This is so great. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from who? From God. Seeking their food from God. 
He made the creatures in his wisdom, all of them. The earth is full of them, in verse 24. The flying creatures of the fifth day are seen throughout the earth. The land animals of the sixth day are seen throughout the earth. God in his goodness designed them to reproduce male and female. Noah had them commanded two by two. There was a reason for that, so that they could repopulate. The sea, verse 25, great and wide. Here is the sea, Great and wide. God is great to make the sea. How many of you have been to the beach? Probably almost everybody, right? I mean, we've, like the ocean beach. Okay, so when you're at the beach and you come up and you, do you come up to the ocean and the shore and you look out and you take a deep breath of saltwater air, puff out your chest and say, I am so great. No, you, you just don't do that. If you saw someone doing that, you'd be like, you're crazy. Like, God is great. Like, when you're in front of this massive ocean of water. Now, let's, let's think about a little bit about what's in it. It's, it says they are small and large in it. The swimming creatures, they're innumerable. There are small ones like microscopic, that inhabit this playground of an ocean. And there's very large ones. Let's think about this week, actually, some scientists revealed this, released a study that at 4,400 4, meters, so that's 14,000 feet deep, there's this kind of imaginary line that there's certain creatures that exist above this line and certain creatures that exist below this line. But you know, the ones that ex- exist below the line... Um, they, find, they have found 50,000 different creatures below 14,000 feet in the ocean. And you know what? They couldn't find any of them, not one of them, larger than 10 millimeters, which is less than a half inch. <laughs> I mean, God is great to, to fashion these creatures that, like, most people will never ever see. Most, we're just learning about them. But then you have the great ones that we think about that inhabit the sea, right? The great white shark, 1,400 pounds, 21 feet long. We don't want to meet him, do we, compared to us? But then the whale shark, 41,000 pounds, 33 feet, massive creature. How about the fin whale, 100,000 pounds and 68 feet long. And then probably the, perhaps the biggest inhabitor of the sea, is the blue whale at 330,000 pounds and from 82 to 100 feet long. I'm not sure, but that might not fit even in this, this auditorium. Pretty close, maybe. That's huge. And then in verse 26, it says, there go the ships and the Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. The Leviathan occurs five times in Scripture. Its usage is different at different contexts in, in Job, in Psalms, somewhere else, uh, Isaiah. Uh, it's just, it describes kind of maybe this mythological dragon representing evil in Isaiah. Uh, at other times, it is used to describe what scholars believe is the crocodile when God is questioning Job, where were you when, and can you pull the Leviathan out with a hook? Here, it's a sea creature, and it's massive. And a likely candidate for this is the giant oarfish, 600 pounds and 56 
feet in length, and it's like a big eel or a snake. It's a twisting one, and that's what Leviathan means, twisting. But get this, God is so great. Have you ever held like a snake or something, and it's twisting all around? It's it's hard to control, right? You just kind of let the snake do its thing. But God controls even the Leviathan in the deep. He is great, the greatness of God, the works of his creation. He has dominion over them all, verse 27. Look at verse 27. These all, small and great, even the man in the ships, right, look to you to give them their food in due season. He has dominion over them all, from the smallest creatures that inhabit the depths of the earth to the mighty creatures that playfully jump to the surface he, ha- he, he has control over them all, dominion over them all. And they look for f- to the Lord for food. It is only when the Lord opens his gracious hand that they are satisfied. Let's now go to the goodness of the creator. The goodness of the creator. So goodness compared. When we think of God's goodness, we got to compare, like we think of our goodness, right? Our goodness... Think about an eyedropper with some water in it, and we take that eyedropper and we drop it, and there's our goodness. Not much. Now take that same eyedropper, and let's go back to the beach. And in front of the ocean, we're going to drop our one little drop of water into the ocean. Like it's, it's almost insignificant, right? Compared to the ocean. And that's comparison of what, what our goodness would be in like to God's goodness. But even still, we got to think a little bit more about that. Romans 3.12 says there's no one good. No, not one. Right? No one, no one, spiritually, no one is worthy of approval by God. Galatians 3.11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. So our goodness is corrupt. I mean, we're broken. We, we can't be good enough for approval by God. And that was the whole point of Christ coming and satisfying the law because he lived it out perfectly. His sovereign rule is good. Look at verses 3 and 4 back there. He, what does he do? He, he lays the beams of the chambers of the waters. He makes what? Clouds his chariots. He rides the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds and his ministers flaming fire. He rules the weather. It kind of grieves me sometimes when people complain so much about the weather because you know what? God is doing insignificantly more than you can think about just having a sunny day. He is, he's, he's bringing things to his desired end, even through daily, monthly, seasonal weather patterns. And so he demonstrates his kindness and even his justice through the secondary cause of weather, not Mother Nature. He's in control of the weather. He's good, though, in the use of it. He doesn't use it unless it's good. His sovereign rule is good. His commands are good, verses 7 and 9. He makes known his ways. Oh, that was Psalm 103, sorry. Um, verse 9. Um, you set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. At his commands, the waters fled and took flight. Do you hear the echo with waters and winds? Do you hear the echo of Jesus in that boat with the disciples? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. 
And the wind, what? Ceased. And there was a great calm. You hear that echo? He, he is kind and he's good. His commands are good. You set the boundaries that they may not pass. God said, the sea will stay here and no more. The land will arise. The mountains there. The valleys there. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth, Psalm 74. You have made summer and winter. None of us can change that order. None of us. So he's very good. He's very great. Let's look at his nourishment is good. He gives drink to every beast in verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love. Oh, I'm back in Psalm 103, sorry. Um, Psalm, they give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. He gives drink. He nourishes. He, the birds sing of his goodness as they nest in the trees. He waters the earth and the grass grows for the livestock and the plants grow for man. And we are blessed because of his goodness to us. I think about verse 15. Man enjoys the fruit of the earth, the, the wine, the oil, the bread in verse 15. As for man, his days are like well, I'm back in 103. Um, 15. Uh, and wine to gladden the heart of man. Oil to make his face shine. And bread to strengthen man's heart. His nourishment of his creation is good. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Coming down from where? The Father of lights. James 1.17. With whom there's no variation or shifting shadow Due to change, what? Of his own will, he brought us forth, all the creatures, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits. Speaking now, speaking of man, we're a first fruit of his creative work, his creative power. You know that in the Genesis account, he saves his crowning, crowning climax of the creation of man because we're made in his image. His protective there's protection over creation is good. Verses 16 through 18. For the wind passes... I'm still in that. I just, old Bible, new Bible. Okay. Um, the trees of the, the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In the birds uh, build their nests in them. He, he has protection. He waters the earth for the trees to grow, the birds to find shelter and nesting, the mountains and the rocky cliffs. He designed them, what? For It says wild goats and the rock badger to find shelter. Even when man grumbles and complains, God will show his goodness. Think about it. Who is complaining and grumbling and it's really sad because people repented at his preaching and he was still mad about it. Jonah, and he's sulking there, watching the city of Nineveh. And what does God do? In Jonah 4.6, God appoints a plant to grow up and to cover. Look at, listen to what it says. A plant made to come up over Jonah that he might have shade because he's probably complaining about the sun beating down on his head, right? To save him from his discomfort. How good is God? He's great and he's good. He established rhythms and routines and they are good. Verses 20 through 23. 
Take a look at that. You make darkness and it's night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking the food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away, lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until evening. These rhythms and routines are good. He created night for the host of creatures to creep about. And then when the sun rises, they scurry to their dens, their holes, and their burrows. And then what? Man rises. And he sets off to his work. And he works until evening. And then he goes back and he slumbers and he rests. And then it all repeats. It's because God designed it to be good. Do you hear the echo of creation? He saw all that he made and it was what? Very good in verse 31. Do you hear the echo of Psalm 104? Oh Lord my God, you are Very great. Very great. Now let's look at this last little section. Glory of the Creator. The glory of the Creator. We hear a lot of words in church, Bible study, whatnot, that we're not really, we we know, but we don't know how a firm definition. And so glory is one of those words. And for me, it always helps to come up with this when I hear glory. I think this, his unsurpassed excellence in every area over everything for all time. He's, he's glorious. His unsurpassed excellence in every area over every created thing for all time. And so the glory of the creator. We're going to look at this. Three things here. His glory, his greatness, his unsurpassed greatness in every area over every created thing for all time, is bestowed upon his creation. Look at verse 31. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. It's like the psalmist is getting to that. He just considered the greatness of God. He considered the goodness of God. And now he's he's backing up. In light of all those things, he's like, this is so glorious. And he's moving. And he's understanding that God graced us with all these gifts. He bestowed a gift of all these teeming things, innumerable, that play in the sea. I mean, we, we are really privileged. I'm just going to stop. We are so privileged that we simply can take one of these little phones um, or a computer and we can say, I want to see a hippopotamus. And we, we know what a hippopotamus was like. You know, not 200 years ago, People didn't even know what hippopotamus was other than based on what someone told them or if they saw one. And if they depended on an artist's rendition of it, a lot of times it could look like anything. It didn't look like a hippopotamus. How privileged are we to see all these marvelous creatures? He bestowed gifts to us to point us to his glory. His glory, I mean, he rejoices over his creation What did God do after he created his creative work? He went into the day of rest, the seventh day, and God rested because he saw everything that he had made and he declared it very good. And now on this Sabbath day, we are resting and we are enjoying and we're thinking about, look at all the great things that God has done and is. We are to give him glory, finally. We are to give him glory. Now, we can't add anything to his glory, but we can 
when we, it says glorify God, when we give him glory, we, we may manifest it. We make it known. His, so what are we going to make known? This week, my challenge to you is make known God's greatness. Observe it and make it known. Or his goodness. Observe it, take it in, and make it known to someone. Reflect on it. So here's some ways that it will help us. I love songs. I love the preaching of God's word. But man, I think we could sing a whole lot more. I love the fact that we can dive into the word and then it prepares a heart really to sing more. And so this week, maybe you take a snapshot of this or grab it later. Here's some songs that talk about God's greatness. We sang all creatures of our God and King, right? Oh, worship the King all glorious above. Or creation sings. Or how great. Psalm 145 is another psalm of creation. For the beauty of the earth. Here's four more. Um, The goodness of Jesus by City of Light. Or good and gracious King. Or good, good Father. These are great to sing. All hail the glorious Christ. These are so good to help us to think, to praise him, to glorify him. Because as we see, actually, in order to glorify him, we want to do that in song. Look at verse 31, um, verse 33. I will sing to the Lord. We're going to glorify him. As long as I live, I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. So that's one way you glorify him is in song. And then another way you glorify him is in meditation. Look at, it says, verse 34, may my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Read, my challenge to you this week, read Psalm 104 every day this week, 35 verses, doesn't take long. Meditate on God's greatness and goodness. And come back and share with one another what you saw about God's greatness and goodness this week. And pray, come in next week expecting to praise him. And then verse 35, this is how we glorify God. In song, in meditation, And in anticipation. Verse 35. Let sinners be consumed from the earth. And let the wicked be no more. The psalmist is saying. One day God's going to make all this right. And he's going to wipe out. Sin forever. Bless the Lord O my soul. Praise the Lord. Those that deny him. That turn away from following him. Refuse to give him glory. Will suffer an eternal sentence, an eternal sentence where they will not enjoy or know any of God's greatness or goodness. What a horrible place to be. Are you following him? Have you trusted him? Have you given your life to him? Have you repented of your sins? Well, Like who? God? Well, who is this creator? Who is he? I got to read to you from the Gospel of John. 1, 3 through 4. You might turn there yourself. And then we're going to go one more place. John, 1, 3 through 4. Who, Who is this creator? We know... Many of us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is this Word? 
It's Christ, as you look at verse 14. He, speaking of Christ, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ is the creator. The God, the I am, the Lord Almighty God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then if you turn to the book of Hebrews, you will find in Hebrews chapter 1, so John chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1, long ago in many ways, verse 1, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Who's the creator? Jesus. Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And now I want to wrap up. And this is like a whole nother sermon, but I know you're probably tired of hearing me. And we get to praise him in a minute for his greatness and goodness. Don't check out. But if we could wrap all this up, I'd say, now go focus what we said, the capital L-O-R-D, L-O-R-D is Yahweh, I am, a seity, right? Self-existent one. Now, what does Jesus say in the Gospel of John? He is the Yahweh, I, the I am. What are the I am statements? I am the bread of life. And all of these have echoes back into Psalm 104 at various levels. I could, that's what the next message would be. To, to look at Jesus' I am statements and connect them to all of the places in Psalm 104. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. What is God clothed with? Light. I am the gate of the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And doesn't Psalm, if you go back through Psalm 104, you see that he um, when you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's not only that. He is the I, I am, the way, the truth, and the life. He sustains life. We saw that. I am the true vine. He blesses the fruit of our labors. The I am. The greatest. The great one. To whom we should give glory. So, we have seen in Psalm 104 this creation psalm. The greatness of the creator. The goodness of the creator. And the glory of the creator. And we've understood now that the creator is Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. Our Father, it has been good to be in your presence. To be with your people. To be in your house. And now, Lord, as we've heard your word expounded, may our hearts rejoice as you rejoice over your creation. May we rejoice over you, the creator. If there be hearts here that are not surrendered to you, may they come and surrender to your greatness and your goodness. Convict them that you are the one who you say you are, despite what everybody else says. You are great, very great, and you are very good. And you deserve all honor and glory. We praise thee this day. Thank you for crowning us and 
that we each are objects of your love and you desire freedom for each one of us. Now may we enjoy and may we rest in your creative greatness. Lord, we praise thee in Jesus' name. Amen.